edition of Matt Goes to the Movies. It's been a wild ride, and certainly it's about to get a little bit crazier because we are covering Spider-Man No Way Home, a movie that completely has rocked the box office. Um, probably something that I don't think really anybody could have expected with the COVID era numbers that have not been seen in quite some time. Um so to tackle this project, uh, I've actually got two helpers today, which is really cool. One of them, uh, if you've listened to Final Fantasy Advent Children, uh, my son Brandon has come back to join this episode, and Harrison from The Basement Binge, who's been on the show several times, is back as well to cover this monumental event. Um, and I, I don't think you can describe this movie as any other thing except for an event. This is on the scale of Endgame to me, and I am really excited to to tackle this movie. So, Harrison, I'll start with you. Welcome back, man. Uh, thank you. I'm I'm very, very excited to be here. Um, excited to be doing this with your son as well. Uh, my first time with him, obviously. So, yeah, this is a movie that I saw a few days ago, and I've just been waiting to talk about because I think there is so much to process that I haven't completely resolved what i think about it yet so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this episode just selfishly yeah brandon you know we went and saw you know this we saw this friday uh december 17th 10 50 at night to a a packed very very um raucous crowd i will say there were certainly uh plenty of reactions for this movie when we first saw it yeah it was actually the kind of it was the loud crowd that i was happy with like they were, they were cheering, they were clapping, but they were also very respect, respectful about it too. None of it felt like it was blocking out any dialogue or any important, like really character moments. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun to be a part of that audience. Uh, like Brandon said, a, a lot of noise, but it just, it added so much to the experience, much like when I went and saw Endgame that, you know, that crowd that was just excited to see this type of movie and a lot of the things that, you know, were rumored for the longest time that everybody kept trying to deny. Um, some of those moments were certainly, you know, well worth it and lived up to the hype. So uh, we're going to get right into the watch rating segment of this movie. Now, this is based on three scales. If you're a first-time listener, it's either high, medium, or low. How rewatchable is this movie? Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first. Where does this movie rank for you on the watch rating scale? This is one thing that I have been – I really, really appreciate about this new uh, watch rating that you have because this is a film that I, I really do feel like is high – on the watch rating. I'm still trying to figure out how many reels I'm going to give it because I feel like that's a more critical uh, rating. But watch rating is just a simple, would I see this again in a heartbeat? Yes. And I would have a ton of fun seeing it again. Yeah, I I'll go next. It's a high for me too. Just the, boy, the payoff to this movie, the emotional scale of this movie the performances in this movie, there are so many things to like about this film, uh, strictly from just a watch rating. Is it entertaining? Absolutely. 
Are there moments that are fan service? Absolutely. Are there moments that make you really kind of sit there and get a lump in your throat? For me, absolutely. The acting is great. The score is great. The costumes are great. Um, This is something that I need to get back into the theaters. I really do not want to wait for home video to watch this again. So this is a, a high rating for me as well. Brandon? So we left the movie theater at like 1.30 in the morning. I was willing to turn around, go back in that theater and pay for another ticket to watch it again. So it was absolutely a high. Like all the things that my dad said, it's got a great score. And even the moments that like aren't really great, the like high moments really elevate the bad ones. Yeah, I mean, I Harrison, unless you have anything else that you just want to add really quickly, um, I I can't go any further on this episode without getting into spoilers, but we obviously want to give a break for somebody who maybe hasn't seen this movie. Um, but do you have anything else that you want to add before we just, you know, we blow the lid off this thing? Uh, I'll just say really... I mean, you. Pr- if you're listening to this episode, you I guarantee you've probably seen this movie just from the box office numbers alone. Uh, but go enjoy this movie. Uh, have a lot of fun with it. it. Really, if you have not seen it, if you've been skeptical of it, I'm a pretty cynical person. I've, I've especially lately. I don't know, like the last few <laughs> weeks, I've been really cynical and critical towards the MCU in my mind. And even I was able to just go and have a lot of fun. Now. That critical part of me when that comes out, who knows what's going to happen? I have no idea, but it is without a doubt a ton of fun. Don't don't uh, get cold feet on this. It's a blast. Also, just be nice to the employees at the movie theater. I was reading something online where like it, they're having a horrible experience, so be nice to them. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Harrison. Before we get into the spoilers, I, I'll just go off of that because when we were talking about the spider-man movies uh the last one that we did the amazing spider-man or no i'm sorry the amazing spider-man 2 that's way back then um far from home we talked about you know is the mcu getting like too convoluted are they eventually going to lose their footing and I will say that I sat there and I got out of this movie and I immediately, like Harrison, I immediately thought about you and I was just like, boy, like if I ever doubt the MCU again, I will think back to this movie and realize that like maybe they have one or two missteps, but I, for the long range, I don't, after seeing this, I'm like, I, I just have to give them the benefit of the doubt if they have a, if they have a slip up because I feel like this movie could have gone off the rails with everything that, you know, fans wanted. And from what I've seen so far, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's disappointed. So I'm willing to give the MCU a pass and it just, boy, did, did it live up for me? What's really funny is that about like a week ago before the movie aired, there was another one of these filmmakers who I don't want to say like completely do it for like kind of attention or something, but there's some you can tell. Another one's just like, oh my god, there's so many MCU MCU movies. They're like clotting up the market, and it's so funny because right after he says that, this thing breaks box off like completely breaks the office. It's insane. 
how much like first of all power the MCU has, but also Spider Man as a whole. Yeah, I, I think that's a really great point, and I think that is a perfect segue to get into popcorn time here at Matt Goes to the Movies. Um, popcorn time, if you are listening to the show for the first time, this, seg- this segment is all about spoilers. So if you have not seen No Way Home, this is where you you have to stop this episode and wait until you see the movie because um, we are going to break down the summary of the movie, main characters, themes, relatable messages. We get into our favorite parts least favorite parts and everything in between. So the movie, I'm sure everybody knows by now, Peter Parker goes to Dr. Strange to figure out a way so that everyone can forget that he is Peter Parker based on the events of Far From Home. And it goes very, very wrong from what you've seen from the trailer. Certainly there were a lot of surprises to me in this movie but it's all about Peter trying to balance his life because his friends are now involved in this and their lives are being changed because of them knowing who you know, he is as Spider-Man. So the opening moments of this movie follow directly after Far From Home, and it starts off with a really, really good scene where Peter and MJ, he's swinging her through the city, and man, it's just... Their chemistry is so good. And the one thing I still want to point out in this that I think these movies, the trilogy, you know, as a whole has done really well. And Harrison, I'll get your thoughts first on this part of the movie. They really do portray Peter as a kid. There's even a line in this movie that Dr. Strange says, like, even after all the things we've been through, I still forget that you're a kid. And watching the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, certainly Andrew Garfield, I think, does portray a younger Peter Parker better than what the Sam Raimi movies did. But Peter is a kid in these movies, and what he has to juggle, I just, I felt they did another really good job. And Tom Holland does a really good job portraying that in this movie. I'll, I'll get your thoughts first, Harrison. Yeah, it was something that I was just about to say. I, I think one of the reasons that I really enjoyed this movie is because of how well it it quickly gets into that mode that like, hey, this is our version of Peter. He's different. And and it gets way more into it later, but like this is a Peter Parker who's been to space and fought Thanos and been with the Avengers. And so those experiences are a lot different than anything that uh, Tobey Maguire went through. But also this is Peter Parker who's like, while the universe is breaking down around him because everybody knows his identity, he's more concerned about is he going to get into college or not. And, and it was really humanizing and, and put a good uh, feeling to just towards the, the age and worries and like mental space that I think this Peter would be in. And it, it worked really, really well. And, and the performances, not just from Tom Holland, but um, definitely Zendaya and then everyone else involved. But um, I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, Jacob. Jacob, uh, what's his last name? He plays Ned. I know his first name's Jacob. Um, oh. I, I feel like the three of them together really capture a, a teen spirit in a in a good way without it being too heavy-handed. Tom Holland really surprised me in this movie. <laughs> like, really. I've always been kind of on the fence with his Spider-Man, at least the past couple movies. But, man, he <laughs> he brought it, and they also directed his story very well in this. Just how kind of the entire world does collapse on him. 
and yet he's still also like, oh, am I going to get to college? Oh, what about my friends getting into college? What do we do after it? And meanwhile, a brick is getting thrown into his house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it balances that really well of him, you know, his responsibilities as Spider-Man, but also, you know, how being Spider-Man affects people that know Peter Parker. I think they played that really well. Um but speaking of a brick being thrown through his house, the first really audible, like huge, like again, like like screaming and yelling and clapping is Charlie Cox showing up on screen as Matt Murdock, um, which if you're a fan of the MCU and you've watched the Netflix show, rumor was he was going to be in this, but it confirms that he is Daredevil in this universe that that show was canon, um, which I was extremely excited for because I love the Daredevil show. I think he's fantastic. And I think truly, like, even though he was on a Netflix show, again, like this guy for me, he has a presence. He stood out on screen. I thought it was great to see him. Granted, it's very quick. I like the implication that the universe is even bigger now, but man, that, uh, that reaction in our theater, it was the first, like, okay, this is going to be a live crowd that, that we're a part of for this movie. And we'll talk about it more throughout the episode, but man, it just, it, it added to the enjoyment. Right along there with you. Yeah. That, that in the theater, that was the first one. Uh, I mean, the audience was pretty live to begin with, but that was the first one where I was like, okay, I'm a, well, I will never forget. Uh, super quick side tangent. The experience that got me into the MCU for the first time was uh, after taking a hiatus from movies for a long time, not movies, but just newer movies. Uh, I went and saw infinity war with my siblings. They just randomly bought a ticket for me. I hadn't seen any of the movies leading up to it. Like the last MCU movie I saw was Iron Man three. Um, <laughs> and so we went and saw infinity war and uh, the scene when captain America shows up, and he like, catches the spear, the theater erupted. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Uh, and it made it really exciting <laughs> to be a part of that. And that experience, even just something as simple as uh, Matt Murdock catching a brick and Spider-Man's curiosity with how he did that. And just like, just sitting there so calmly, it was just being in a, a group of like-minded people. It was, it was a lot of fun. I'm a really good lawyer. <laughs> yeah, just the, the, the simpleness of that when Peter's like, how did you do that? And just, oh, I'm a really good lawyer was like this movie, I think for, you know, besides guardians of the galaxy, the first one, because it really was that tone almost all the way through. I feel like this is the first MCU movie in a while that actually really balanced the tone between humor, um, a little bit of darkness, sadness. I feel like they balanced all of those acts very well in this movie where Harrison, you know, we've talked about it with Rob on other episodes where, you know, the MCU tends to play things for laughs sometimes when it's not. Certainly I've talked about it in Endgame with Thor's depression and, you know, things like that where it's like, no, this should be a serious moment. There's always like a quip and a joke and like, hey, we got to keep it lighthearted. And it feels out of place sometimes, you know, shifting between the different dynamics. But I, I feel like this movie balanced those things very, very well and knew exactly where to like pepper those moments throughout this movie. So it kept you on a very steady pace of highs and lows. Yeah, this game knows when to 
pick and choose its spots. One thing I always like about well, one always really good trait and good like, especially even kind of darker stories. I would say the story takes some kind of dark turns. You also gotta know when to put in your humor. You can't have a dark story and have it be completely dark all the way. You gotta have some light in there. And I feel like this movie, kind of one of the first ones in the MCU for me, really knows how to balance that and kind of keep that pace. I'll just say I agree. Yeah, it's. I think, like the two of you said, you know, it it, it, it balances well. I think of the direction that John Watch gives, that is the strongest part of it. That. None of the humor undercuts uh, the seriousness or the emotion. It's never to take it away. It allows those things to, uh, I think, ease off uh, naturally. Um, and the the dark tone doesn't take away from the genuine lighthearted nature of Spider-Man. It, it, that is something that it, it's a difficult balance, and it did a really, really good job. Yeah, and, you know, it's... The, the one thing that I will say is I mentioned, you know, Matt Murdock and everything like that. I, I do feel like they could have maybe let Peter's legal trouble breathe a little bit more in this movie. It seemed to be wrapped up pretty nicely with the inclusion of Matt Murdock. Like it's, you better get yourself, like, you know, you better get yourself a lawyer and looking like, oh man, this could be some trouble early on for him in terms of like legally. And then it's just like, boom, the movie cuts. I, I do think maybe they could have given that a little bit more room to breathe, but it, it's very the way that they transition, it's very easy to forget in the moment that that was kind of just glossed over. Uh, Harrison, did you have any problem with that at all? Uh, yeah, that, that in particular, just throughout the entire film, I felt like things were resolved really quickly so they could get on to like, the next thing. You know, that we got the legal problem, so Matt Murdock can show up. Okay, we got that. Okay, let's get the villains to show up. Okay, the villains showed up. Let's get the other Spider-Man to show up. Okay, they showed up. Let's get the big death. Okay, the big death happened. Let's get the uh, conclusion. You know, And it just, like, that's a big exaggeration of everything to just say a point that frequently throughout the film, I felt, I felt like things resolved uh, quickly as far as the plot goes, particularly with the legal troubles. I don't know. Maybe they're just setting up She-Hulk to be even more exciting than the ideas we've already <laughs> pitched for it. We might get glimpses of that. But yeah, just for this film, I did feel like particularly the legal troubles was one area that it was like, oh, yeah, hey, this is happening. Like, I don't genuinely I don't even remember like how they got away from it. Like, I remember Matt Murdock showing up and then I don't really remember what happened after that. I just know that oh, sometime after that, the villain showed up. Yeah, they honestly just needed to wrap it up. That was the thing. They left off at the ending of Far From Home, and then they started at the end of Far From Home. So they needed to wrap up the ending of one other movie before it and also get this movie started. So Yeah, I mean, they really the 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 bow on the package really was him saying, like, Peter, I don't think any of the chart like Peter, I don't think any of the charges will stick. And that was kind of it. Like, let's move on. Like, we didn't see... I mean, I think as a viewer, that's one of those things where it's not too open-ended, where if you just stop and think about it for five seconds, it's like, no, you could probably prove very easily that Mysterio, like, like faked all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he ended up not guilty, actually. Yeah. Something like that. But it, it, it did feel a little bit you know, 
quickly resolved for me, but we, we talk about the villain showing up and certainly the first scene we've seen it in a ton of trailers, but to me, you know, the one of the marks of a good movie is knowing what's going to happen, but still enjoying it. And we all knew on that bridge scene where Peter tracks down uh, the Dean or whoever it was to try and get, you know, Ned and MJ into college, you knew what was coming. You knew Doc Ock was going to show up, but it did not stop my reaction. It did not stop the theater's reaction. It was still incredible to see. And in the trailers, I mean, I'm not going to lie, a lot of that bridge scene is pieced together in the trailers with, you know, clips of them fighting, you know, filling out the rest that we didn't see. But boy, like seeing Doc, Doc Ock back, watching, you know, again, I feel like they did a really good job with Tom Holland here and how he's fighting as Spider-Man in this, especially on that bridge scene and his, you know, athleticism, man, it, it did not ruin anything really knowing what was going to happen in that scene. Brandon, I'll let you go first and then Harrison will turn it over. As soon as we got on that bridge, my heart was beating fast. I go, dad, dad, we're here, we're here. Especially for like me, I grew up on the, I really grew up on the Raimi movies. So like, Ock and Goblin have a like re- are gonna get a real big pop for me, and you just see the tentacles coming up from the bridge. And, Hello, Peter. <laughs> it's just such a rush of energy, and for the fight, I feel like the choice of using the Iron Spider was actually really like well done. I feel like using the extra extra limbs against Ox extra limbs fit really well, while also showing just the strength of Dr. Octopus still. Agreed. I feel like Alfred Merlina, uh, of course we all know he's fantastic as Doc Off, but, but also just like the two characters, like what an interesting interaction between Spider-Man and Doc Ock and the way that they play off each other physically, like Brandon just said, makes that scene a lot of fun. I knew it was coming. Like, I think what you said, Matt is, is exceptionally well done. Those are the films we love to rewatch where we know what's happening but we still enjoy it either way. Um, now, of course, it was the first time we'd seen it. I didn't know exactly what was happening, but, you know, I knew Doc Hawk showed up. Um, and it was enjoyable all the same. And it, it it's just fun how they, they let the characters... I, I've been reading a lot of comics lately, and when the, uh, the bad guy and the good guy interact with each other, it's pretty quick. You know, you get a few panels mm-hmm. that have... Gr- they're great-looking panels, but then it moves on pretty quickly. And I felt like... To me, that this feels like the same thing where it's like, okay, here we get this quick little fight that's really fun and, and visually uh, entertaining. All right, let's move on. Like, let's, we're, this isn't this isn't the entire movie, um, and it was just it was it was it was enjoyable. I think I'm going to be saying that a lot, so I need to shorten my words and, and say it in less words, like Brandon. Uh, but it is very enjoyable. Yeah, I think too. I want to circle back to the aspect of knowing, you know, when to have certain kind of light like lighthearted moments and not that he's joking or anything, but yeah, like Peter's reaction to like, uh, hi, do do I know you? Like, again, like it's a very serious scene like this guy, but Peter's confusion is completely understandable. And it's, it's really well played by Tom Holland. You know, this Peter doesn't know who this guy is. And he's like, what, 
machine like what machine are you talking the about the <laughs> like, palm of my hand what are you talking about dude <laughs> like he you know he has no clue what's going on and i thought they played that you know really really well and before the bridge scene ends this is where it started with me and i, I think this guy steals the show i'm i'm like <laughs> so just blown away by this guy um we get Green Goblin and just that menacing laugh and him flying towards Peter um, and even Otto's confusion of Osborne because he knows what happened to him in his universe. I, I will talk about this a lot, but man, for William Defoe to come back almost 20 years later and reprise this role and be better than he was and the fact that this guy did not, he is 66 years old, William Defoe, And his condition for coming back is it couldn't be a glorified cameo. And he had to be able to do all of the stunts that he was able to perform. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to walk upstairs at 66 years old. And this guy wants to be in physical fight scenes and played this character. Man, he might... It's so hard because there's so many breakout performances, but he did an incredible, incredible job in this movie. You know, Harrison, where where do you stand on on William Defoe? Because I'm I'm blown away by Goblin in this movie. Oh, I agree. I feel like they. I mean, he's William Defoe, so use him, and I feel like <laughs> they did. Uh, you know, the the the. Um, what am I trying to say? The goblin laugh, the cackle is fantastic. Um, and just the way he's introduced, it's like, oh yeah, this, this guy's, this guy's crazy. Um, and, and uh, we talked about, we joked in a previous episode we did on Spider-Man. I don't remember which one, how it feels like some of the weak writing in the Spider-Man films is like, oh, Hey, we need our bad guy to turn evil. Let's incorporate some voice in his head that suddenly makes him turn evil. And he like has this weird, you know, two faced mentality type thing. Uh, and it started with Norman Osborn and Willem Dafoe. And they really lean into that and use it really well throughout the film. And Willem's performance as both Green Goblin and Norman Osborn is so great. Like when he says, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself, like I trust him. I genuinely trust <laughs> him sincerely. But then when he gets that smile and he has this physical performance in his eyes alone that I I know when it's Norman Osborn and when it's Green Goblin, just through his eyes. And when he switches, it's like, okay, now we're in for it. And it, it's fun. One, one thing I will say, I was so proud of my theater for laughing at the scientist line, especially with this how, like, it turned in such a big joke for a line that's really genuine. So when he repeats it, first of all, you know they're paying attention. But it, it was just really cool and funny but yeah he has like when he switches like that from norman the goblin like it's like it's genuinely scary like the one scene where he like permanently switches you're like oh god like it's about to it, something's about to go down here yeah i you know that that dual aspect of his character um is so well done and even when he ends up like may ends up calling peter and saying one of the guys that you're looking for is here when he's norman and he's like my company my son like 
you can see he's confused. He actually seems sad that he doesn't, you know, his son, Harry, he doesn't know where he is. His company is not there. He plays that so well, but then again, they, they have this ability in this movie to have these tones work so well, but in the background, when May's talking to Peter and she's like, no, you need to help this guy. The guy is pocketing donuts for Christ's sakes. And I was like, I felt bad for him because he's like this, he's lost, so to speak, but then he's, he's stealing donuts and stuffing them in the pockets of his coat. And I was like dying, laughing, watching him put stuffing donuts in his coat. I pointed that out too. I was like, he's stealing donuts, right? (laughs) Yeah, that that scene was fantastic. I I love that scene because I mean, like the whole time, like we're in it with Peter, like, oh no, he went after Aunt May, you know? That that's an iconic thing in the comics, you know. You don't mess with Aunt May, and I was like, "Oh no, are we getting this that soon?" Uh, and then he shows up, and he looks like a hobo, <laughs> and it just it's played so well. It really, really works. You know, I mean, I, if I was him, I might be stealing some donuts though. Right, donuts are good. Exactly. I did like too. It's you know the small little detail though when you're looking at what he's wearing. It's the you know it's purple. It's green. It's the colors of you know the the goblin's original costume. Again, just like small little attention to detail that I really liked. And Brandon Brandon mentioned this. We get to the next round. You know, we get the explanation from Strange of you messed up my spell. They you know, they need to get these guys back because it's going to tear the fabric of reality apart. Lizard has already been captured, which I I did think was an interesting choice that he was, you know, Strange took care of him. You can certainly see Strange had some some battle scars when they get back. Um, So there obviously was some sort of physical confrontation. But the next villain that Peter runs into is Electro. And, you know, if you're watching that scene, you can see right from the beginning that Sandman's going to be there. Cause you can see the ground moving, uh, which I did think was a nice little, you know, acknowledgement of the fact that Sandman and Parker ended on good terms in Spider-Man three. So he originally starts out helping him like Peter, what the heck is going on here? So I thought that was a great acknowledgement that like, okay, this guy wouldn't be coming here to originally attack Peter. Um, I also did really like the fact that, after Peter gets Electro and they're talking and he's just like, <laughs> Jamie Foxx is like, his character is like, so you're going to stand there and pretend I'm not butt-ass naked? And Sandman's like, I'm going to. <laughs> um, I, I, again, the the balance of, okay, that's a good time to have humor there because of the situation. And I will say, though, that I'm a little confused based on the movie's own rules why Electro is back. because. I don't remember at any point, though, and even later in the movie, Max actually knowing who Spider-Man was. It it didn't seem at any point in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 that he knew that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. And I've seen this from other people, too, so it is kind of curious to me that he's actually in this movie based on their own rules. Harrison, I'll let you go first. Well, I haven't seen him in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 yet, so I don't know what I know, but uh, Jamie Foxx is great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he's he's great. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but yeah, that's. I felt like 
they wanted to just get these good villains here. And if you have a chance to use Jamie Foxx again, you're going to. Um, but then they also needed a good explanation. I don't know. Again, I haven't seen the film, so I, you know, <laughs> don't know. But, you know, it, it, it's something that I think all of us are willing to look past and be like, eh, it doesn't make sense. Not really, but whatever. It's Jamie Foxx. I will agree. He was great in this movie, so I don't really care. But <laughs> I would say there was actually like one thing I saw online and the other I just kind of thought of. The first one is definitely not their explanation. But um, there's apparently like a throwaway line in Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he's like getting information from someplace. So maybe that's how. Oh, maybe when he's downloading into the grid. Yeah. That, that, that could, that could yeah. be it. But the other one... This could be a variant. Oh, because because uh, you think about it, this entire movie was set up from Loki going forward with the TSA and everything. So it could be a variant that also probably explains why he actually has like good hair in this movie. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's funny too. Just a, a quick tie in to see all of these events that you know we saw it in Wandavision, we saw it in Loki. We're seeing you know No Way Home now where. You know, all of these, you know, events that split time, like seem to coincide at the exact same moment, which I think is really cool. And again, just kind of shows how Marvel does, you know, the best they can, because certainly when you're starting off with one plan and now it's like, okay, well, we're able to bring this in, we're able to do this. For the most part, I think they've done a good job backtracking and making everything line up as best they can. But it's, it's really cool. And even seeing, you know, Maybe there's there's a lot of rumors about what maybe we're going to see in Hawkeye tomorrow when the season finale releases for Hawkeye, that these events are all taking place at the same time. So I, I do want to go to the fact of, you know, Peter actually trying to help these, you know, these people. And we get before he truly goes on this path of like, OK, I'm going to try and save them. Um, so they don't have to go back and, you know, be killed by their Spider-Mans. Boy, the mirror dimension scene with Doctor Strange. You want to talk about special effects done right. They looked amazing in the first Doctor Strange movie to me. And that whole scene where he takes the box, um, you know, where he's going to contain everybody what a what a great action set piece you know some i i like the fact that there's the trains involved and he's you know the mirror dimension i thought that was absolutely phenomenal yeah i i agree sorry i wasn't sure who was going next but yeah i i agree it's when in the trailers we saw that scene where um doctor strange hits out um speeder uh, speeder <laughs> 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 um spider-man's uh I don't know, spirit, whatever you would call it. I'm not quite sure. Um, whatever that's called. Out of him, you know, and, and we see him when he webs himself through the portals. I was like, oh, you know, Spider-Man doesn't stand a chance against Doctor Strange. Like, come on. Um, especially when we see those trains forming around him in the trailer. Like, we've seen glimpses of it. And I felt like the film did a good job of showing that their power sets and their abilities are completely different. And either one could absolutely own the other in any given moment. It's just how... Uh, unexpecting each of them can be towards the other. I, I thought it was a good pairing, uh, visually done really, really well. You know, it, it, this is a fun way to use visual effects and, uh, you know, no one expects that to be done practically. 
Uh, and, and it's, yeah, it's, I'm going to simplify and just say it's well done for everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it looks spectacular. It has a really good OST too. One thing that a lot of people didn't notice is when Strange is trying to grab the box from Peter's body. It's his spider sense is going. And on like Tom Holland's head is the lines from the comics going. So it's just his mind like unintentionally moving a box. But the fight overall, like that's actually like it's weird because all the fights are good. That's like visually probably the coolest one. Because he hits him through <laughs> he hits him through a Christmas mall back to the Grand Canyon on a train. <laughs> Like, it's so weird, but it's so, like, fun and cool to see. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly there's there's a lot of good fights in this one, but in terms of, like, effects and what happens, I think this is obviously the most detailed one with everything that's going on in the mirror dimension. So, you know, we we get through Peter's helping, you know, try to bring these people back, cure them, so that they do not have to go back to their worlds and and die. And this is where you get the turn from William Defoe and back into Green Goblin, which is an amazing scene because Peter senses it. As soon as Osborne talks, Peter's sense goes off. And just that scene of him walking around the room, it slows down. You know, like audibly, you can hear his spider sense going off, and then he just webs, like he webs Osborne. The boy, it leads into just something incredible. But again, that that switch that you can tell when Osborne is gone and Goblin has taken over. That scene was really well done, Brandon. I'll let you go first on that. Yeah, it's even better when you have the buildup of him and Osborne basically bonding, going through all the science stuff. Molina does some really great acting. Don't touch me, you teenager! He's, <laughs> like, upset, like, angry at, at Peter. But then, well, you're gonna be, you're gonna be cured, Norman. Just me. And you're like, whoa, then it's, boom. And it's like this, tense like audible sound and he's like i've watched you through norman's eyes you're like oh boy <laughs> here we go yeah i mean harrison we've talked about norman's for you know well norman but william defoe's performance but you know this is when he kicks it into goblin mode like this is where he gets like just like really like terrifying yeah he's just chewing up the scenery it's fantastic it is a great, and I love the way that the spider sense was used. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, you know. Like it, it's it, it's one thing to just you know have like a big explosion and the bad guy shows up or something. It's another one to have them in the room working together, trusting each other, forming a relationship, and have one of them suddenly switch. And especially when the the hero senses that and takes a preemptive attempt to stop that, but still can't. Like it, yeah. It's a really really well done scene for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and, you know, I will – the fight – one of the other really great things about this movie for me is the callbacks to all the other Spider-Man movies. And the – yeah, and there's callbacks to the games too. But the fight between our – you know, the MCU's Peter 
and Goblin, the physicality mirrors the fight between Sam Raimi's Peter Parker and Green Goblin, where it's very physical. I mean, they're busting through walls and power bombing through floor through four flights. <laughs> gives him a Batista bomb of, down a flight. Like of a building. And when Peter's just punching Norman and he's sitting there like laughing about it, the physicality in these battles is just it's like off the charts. It's so well done. And I oh man, I, I gotta tell you, there are minimum minimum five times where I really got like a lump in my throat, like really was like, Oh my God, like this is so good. Or this is so emotional. And I don't know because they really, really fooled me on this scene. So as you know, they go through their battle. Norman tells Peter, no good deed goes unpunished. And we've seen that we saw the, scene in the trailer he throws the pumpkin bomb because may is down there with them she gets hit peter somehow you know somewhat blocks it and it looks like you know so may is hurt but then they switch it to where it's like oh okay she's she's banged up she's gonna be okay they're gonna they're gonna get out of there and i really was like wow i can't believe like they didn't go for like her dying I, I was really surprised. I was like, oh, she's okay. And then you find out she's not okay. She's like, I just, oh, I just, I need to catch my breath. Like everything's okay. I, I'm not kidding. Maybe I should have known, but they really like pulled the, the proverbial rug out from underneath me thinking, okay, she's going to die in this scene. Oh, wow. She's not, she's going to be okay. And then going, oh my God, something's actually wrong. And it, it, has to be because of the performance of Tom Holland in this scene because when he's like May what are you doing like wake up like you know would would you talk to me please just talk to me like I'm like that's where it went from a lump in my throat to I'm not gonna lie like I I had tears in that scene just the performance of Tom Holland portraying like what it would mean for Peter to lose this person um also because of the fact of you know, he helped, you know, he helped Norman when at first it was like, not my problem. He needs to go home and just probably what he was feeling in that moment. Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first. Like I just, I was so emotionally caught off guard with that. Yeah. Really well said there. Caught off guard is, is what I expected. We, you know, we saw the trailer. It's a Spider-Man movie. Somebody's going to die. Um, and, uh, here we go. She's going to die. Oh, wait, she's alive. Oh, wait, she's dead. And it, it really, um, was, was emotionally, uh, pulling and Tom Holland's performance and Marissa Tomei's performance, both fantastic. Uh, this film surprisingly really showed me that Tom Holland, uh, is very, very talented as an actor. I, I mean, I never thought he wasn't, but you know, I never, I never thought of him as a really strong emotional a performer and here he he really got me um even though i haven't seen all of the amazing spider-man 2 i've seen parts of it and during that scene i just kept hearing andrew garfield in my head stay with me which mm-hmm. i think is a fantastic performance and to me this scene really matched it um in everything 
Um, that is a hard thing to do. To I mean, you killed Aunt May. Like, uh, we, we've complained about all the times we've seen Uncle Ben die on, cinematically. Well, this is a first for Aunt May. Um, and what a difficult scene to do, but really uh, handled maturely and uh, sincerely. Uh, it's a good scene. I kind of figured she was dead because when you see that goblin glider just come and hit her, I was like, that's at least, if she's not torn in half, that's at least like her spine is split apart. That thing hit her so hard. I was like, there's no way she's coming out like fine and stable after that. But the moment I started like choking up was when we finally got the line. Um, with great power line, finally, we uh, Tom Holland finally gets that scene. And even without Uncle Ben, it's done so well. And it's basically a theme of this movie. This movie really brings to the MCU the consequences of Spider-Man. And that's always the integral part of it. The consequences and the responsibility of Spider-Man. Yeah, I think... And towards the end of the movie, this just becomes more relevant for me. But, you know, this, so this, you know, this is the third movie in what is the MCU Spider-Man. And this is really, to me, where this is gearing towards the Spider-Man that most of us know. Harrison, we talked about, you know, some complaints about the MCU Spider-Man is he is Iron Man Jr. It even says it on one of the magazine covers when he's, you know, found out that it's Peter Parker. So the way that they transition this movie into him really becoming the Spider-Man that I think a lot of fans were waiting for when he got introduced in the MCU, I think is really well done. But after, you know, Aunt May... um you know, dies in this scene. This is where Peter goes away. Um, he just is wherever he is until we find out later, you know, where he's gone to, to the roof of his school. But this is party. You cannot leave out that billboard scene. It's too good to leave out. Go ahead. Skip. Go ahead. Talk when, about it. Oh, when, when we first, when Peter first leaves, there's a scene of him on a billboard and that scene is done so well. Just the feeling of Spider-Man being alone in this world. But he kind of does it to himself, too. Because he goes away from MJ and Ned just to, I don't want you guys to get hurt. And then Jameson, like always, he really presses it to him hard that he messed up. And it breaks, like, breaks Peter Parker. And it's really, it's a really good scene. That's why I did not want this skipped out on this podcast. Harrison, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it kind of combining what the two of you said that this is, uh, I think it is impossible to get away from the ethos of Spider-Man, you know, to put it in a line with great power comes great responsibility. You, you can't get away from that. No medium of Spider-Man has been able to comics, cinematically animation, they haven't. It's always there in some sense, and I think it's an integral part of the character of Spider-Man and the choices that he makes. And to have a moment where a teenager who, you know, moments ago was worried about getting into college, now is sitting there just like, what have I done? 
I have made choices that have led to this moment. What have I done? Like, not necessarily like, oh my gosh, it's all my fault, but a, like a genuine, like, what part in this is my responsibility? Uh, and it's, it's a good, it's a good scene. Um, I, I think it, it's good to let those moments happen with Spider-Man. Yeah, that's, I think it is very well done. That's a great point. Um, him, you know, certainly being alone, you know, they did say that this is probably, you know, the, th- this was the darkest version of Spider-Man that they've done in the MCU in terms of his story. It, it certainly rings true with what he loses, uh, you know, up to this point. And, you know, when he goes away, this is where Ned and MJ, um, start to try and figure out where Peter is and, I'm going to go on record and I am going to say that for me, not that it wasn't, but I am really glad that they decided that Andrew Garfield was going to be the first Spider-Man that showed up, that he was reintroduced first. And again, just a huge audible reaction from the crowd, which I actually really, really enjoyed. Um, Rewatching the Amazing Spider-Man movies, you know, so close to No Way Home and knowing how devastated Andrew Garfield was with how that franchise turned out because it was a childhood dream to play Spider-Man. He absolutely loves this character, came up with several ideas for like how Spider-Man could be more, you know, comic book version in his movies, which I think he portrayed Parker and Spider-Man very well. I think he does it better than Tobey Maguire. Um, It was really cool to hear the crowd's reaction to Garfield and having him back. And boy, it, to me, it just solidified how good he actually was. And again, though, the, the fact that they were able to introduce humor into his introduction after we just get this scene that made me well up of May dying, but the humor made sense. Like MJ throwing the bread at him, and being like, it doesn't work on bread. Yeah, he, she's like, I just want to see if you have the tingle. I have it, just not for bread. And she's <laughs> like, well, prove that you're Spider-Man. And he sticks to the wall. He's like, this, this, this is enough. Like, I'm not crawling around on the floor. Um, I, we'll keep his introduction as, as one point, and we'll move on to the other one. But I, I enjoyed the fact that it was Andrew who got introduced first because – Obviously, I think he needed a little bit more redemption than Toby um, did, so to speak, in his Spider-Man, in his movies. Brandon, I'll let you go first. Uh, It was a huge moment in the theater with the crowd's reaction to him. I like how I noticed, too. Like, before he walked in, I saw, like, I saw the big eyes. I saw parts of the suit. I go, Dad, Dad, that's Andrew. I I was freaking out along with the crowd. It felt so good just to see him back. And after all the denying he's done, mm-hmm. even though it's like, it's real suspicious that for a movie that's not coming out this year, you're doing a lot of interviews. So <laughs> what, what's the deal? Yeah, I, I love that scene. I, I was freaking out right along with you guys, just in a different theater. Saw those big eyes, the wave he does. I, I was I was grabbing my wife's arm. I was like, that's Andrew Garfield. <laughs> uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and the entire from the moment he was introduced, it solidified an opinion that I've had that's kind of been creeping up on me as I've we've been revisiting these Spider Mans that he is the best Spider Man in the worst Spider Man movies, and 
it it I just love his introduction and it yeah it, it, there was tons of things that I loved about it but the biggest thing was that it they did they what am I trying to say they celebrated him as Spider-Man like like I feel like each each version of Spider-Man was celebrated for being Spider-Man like it, like it didn't feel like they were being compared yeah, I think that's a that is a really really great point that they gave, you know, each one like okay, a celebration regardless of box office returns or critical reception or anything like that. Like, you know, these two guys will get into to Toby Maguire, you know, Toby paved the way for Garfield and Garfield in a way paved the way for Tom if things, you know, if things hadn't gone the way they went with Toby's movies, then Garfield would, you know, who knows if Garfield would have gotten a crack at Spider-Man ever because they wouldn't have had to reboot it because of Raimi's decision with, you know, with his disagreements with Sony. Who knows if Garfield would have gotten his opportunity. If Garfield's movies had been better received, you know, who knows if Tom Holland would have gotten a crack because the MCU was going to be prepared to introduce Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man in the MCU um, due to a miscommunication about missing a meeting for being sick. They decided that they were going to recast. So I, I Harrison, I think you're right. I think they did a good job of just honoring each version. Um, and after Garfield gets his introduction and gets some really good screen time um, in a really funny scene, we get Toby Maguire, who, you know, it looks old, like looks older. It looks like he's had some experience as Spider-Man. Like time has gone by, like it should have. Like these guys haven't stood still. Um, and he got a very loud reaction as well, a very very loud reaction from the crowd. But I do like how immediately he's like, "Wait a minute!" He sees you know, other Peter Parker by Andrew Garfield. He's like, yeah, like that's not your friend. And they both kind of web at each other. And Ned's grandmother is just like, I'm going to bed. Um, Clean up the kitchen. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, again, Toby's introduction. It was really cool. I liked it. And I'll let Harrison, I'll let you go first on Toby's introduction, because then I, I think it goes without saying that we need to talk about too the interaction of the three Peters in I'll just, I'll leave it there. So I will, uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first on Toby. Uh, yeah, I, I love that he is a wise Spider-Man. Um, you know, and even the, just the way he's like, Oh, this is not your friend. Like he knows who this universe's Peter Parker is and how he's been paying, paying attention to him. He's not in a Spider-Man suit, but it's underneath his shirt type of thing. Like, it was it was just fun. Especially for me, as I've been redeveloping, uh, not redeveloping, re developing for the first time, this love for Toby and his version of Spider-Man. As much as I claim that I think Andrew Garfield might be my favorite Spider-Man, even though they're bad movies, I love Toby Maguire's Spider-Man. And, and to let him show up and just be really casual about it uh it was great the theater's reaction was loud i was loud with them it was great and, and the interaction between the two of them was fun um yeah there's a lot more that comes later but good introduction i like how it kind of comes out in this like nerdy awkward way like kind of how he acts in the movies he just kind of walks in, he's like hey 
uh, what's going on? And then they're like, oh, you could have told us you were Spider-Man or Peter Parker. He's like, I don't normally, like, just go around saying it. You know, <laughs> defeats the purpose. But it, you do say he's wise, and that's actually kind of what I hoped out of the three Spider-Man. I hoped, because they do mention about Andrew not pulling his punches. I was hoping he shows kind of how not to be Spider-Man and Maguire kind of be like what Spider-Man should be because that's how his trilogy kind of ended. And they really do hammer in on that with their interactions. Like, he's like, yeah. Andrew's like, I've lost someone too and I snapped about it. Maguire did too, but then he's like, it didn't help at all in the end. Yeah, I think they do do a you know a very good job of distinguishing you know where these Spider-Mans are at in their personal universes, and you get into that you know as we get towards the conclusion of the movie. But the interaction between all three Peters is really funny, especially when Ned is trying to call Peter, and they're like. Uh, I'll, it's the same guy. It, it's it's the meme where they're all pointing at each other, so to speak. But it's like, um, we're all Peter, uh, Parker. Yeah, same name, man. Like, <laughs> um, that that's that's all us. And then when he's like, here's your, oh, well, first Ned saying, oh, did you have a best friend to Tobey Maguire's Spider Man? He's like, I did. He died in my arms right after he tried to kill me like and that just being like like just kind of like backing away like okay you know um really well played but when ned hands tom holland's peter parker the web cartridges and he's like here you go and toby's like what what are those for Oh, it's my web fluid. And he shoots the, you know, the webs out of his wrist. If you watch the whole scene for me is like, I love that they acknowledge it, but the whole scene for me is Andrew Garfield because he's like, wow, is that even possible? But even after he's talking about it, if you watch Garfield, he is like staring at Peter's wrist. Like he's literally just fixated on him and then he's like oh okay i i i gotta focus like he's so fascinated and like thrown off by like organic webs coming out of him it it's really really funny to me uh harrison i'll let you go first on those topics yeah the interaction between the two of them it was, it was just good fun like if we're gonna have um spider-man's together we're, and and there is a legacy behind these characters. Like it's it's different than Spider Verse per se, where these aren't characters that we know. You know, the, the, these are defined characters with traits and attributes and comedic qualities. Uh, and we've got to have, for nostalgic reasons alone, the interaction between them is is just a lot 